Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges and to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, we always tell you you're in the right place, and you are, because this is where the best run. Let's see what's happening. I have a quote today from Jeremy Bloom. I found the quote at uxdesign.cc. Let me read the quote, and this will set us up nicely for our conversation today. The buzz on the street, quote, Countless hours aligning components, fixing broken page layouts, and documenting interaction patterns eventually led to a design resource for teams to use. The article I read his quote in is called The Three Lessons That Changed How I Think About Design Systems. How about that? So let's talk about what we're going to be speaking about with our panelists today. If your design team at your company is still using traditional style guides, come on, you probably have them handy, and design templates. It's, it's probably not enough to manage your efforts at design at scale and the big thing, reducing your costs. you got to look at the bottom line. What's the answer? The solution is a comprehensive design system with predefined approaches. Sounds like a great big deal. We're going to unpack it for you today. But... Sounds great. Adoption may be tough. It may be complicated. It may be slow. Why? You've got many, many technologies to bring together. You've got products. You've got business units. You may have acquisitions. And you've got teams. Does everybody want to get on board on day one and say, yay, a single design system? Maybe not that enthusiastically or that easily. What to do? you got to start with the basics. You're going to establish a system, understand the benefits, pay attention to the challenges, and figure out the strategies for success. And that's why I have two experts on the show with me today who are going to help you get there faster. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and as the gentleman said at the beginning, this is Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. Shout out to Esther Blankenship at SAP who puts together these shows and sponsors the series and let's see who we've got today so first up I'm going to be introducing you in a minute I'm actually going to have him introduce himself Sean Cheris director of experience design at Adobe and second guest is Kai Richter chief designer at SAP Fiori so Sean before I get to your quote I'd love to have you just tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what you do as the director of experience design at Adobe Sean Cheris talk to me hi good morning thanks for having me um Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at, at Adobe, uh, I'm part of our central product design team, which is appropriately named Adobe Design, uh, and we handle all the product designs for all of Adobe's many products and services, of which there are a lot more than people think, somewhere around 100 typically at any given time. Uh, and as part of that team, I manage a, a group of teams called Brand and Experience that uh, are responsible for the overall brand and experience of our products. So brand, icons, our design system spectrum, uh, content strategy, inclusive design, uh, and I also oversee our efforts around our developer ecosystem. So all the stuff that kind of brings all of our products and services together and makes them feel like they come from one company. 
And they do. I'll tell you a story about a new Adobe product I discovered quite by accident a couple of weeks ago that has brought amazement and delight to my life. And I'm sure you wouldn't mind hearing that one, Sean. Thank you very much. A lot to talk to you about. And sounds like you have a huge job. It's a big universe. That's a key to the quote we're going to get to in a minute. Let's now turn to our second panelist today, Kai Richter, Chief Designer at SAP Fiori. Kai, please introduce yourself so people know what you do. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm working also in the central design team at SAP. Um, We are providing the guidelines for the company, so we're helping our designers within the company, which is a population of about 300 to 400 designers across the globe Mm -hmm. with um, the guidelines and also the technology foundation so that they can build the products. But which comes in addition to that is that we, of course, have a lot of customers that build and modify the applications on their own using our technology. So we're also trying to help them to understand and adopt our design, which makes our design system so important also as a selling proposition to our customers. Thank you very much, Kai. Pleasure to have you on. Sean sent me a quote. We always start the show with an inspirational quote from each of our guests, not their own words, something that gives us a way for them to explain it in relation to the topic. So Sean has sent us a quote from Carl Sagan, Cosmos. Those of you who may be too young to remember, Carl Edward Sagan lived from November 1934. That goes back to December 1996. Doesn't seem like he's been gone that long. An American astronomer, cosmologist, astrophysicist, astrobiologist. I didn't even know that was something. Author. He was a science popularizer and science communicator in astronomy and other natural sciences, and he helped to write a TV show called Cosmos, A Personal Voyage, 13-part TV series. It is still, as of 2009, the most widely watched PBS series in the world and still considered very, very, very significant. Here's the quote Sean has selected from Carl Sagan. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. I love that, Sean. I bake apple pies a couple times a year, and I didn't know I was inventing the universe. Tell me what this means in relation to our design topic, please. Sean? Sure. Um, well, you know, it's it's an interesting quote just about, like, the nature of, you know, what does it really mean to, to, to start from scratch? And uh, as a designer, one of the most freeing, liberating things that I, I, I finally realized one day was that you know, to be a good designer, you need to be an effective recycler. Design is about communication, and if you want to communicate with people, you need to communicate in a language that they understand. So that's true whether you're, you know, designing an experience or thinking about the way brands work. And obviously, with the kind of work that I do, uh, I'm very interested in reuse and patterns and, and systems thinking. And it's just a funny quote to remember, to remind, you know, people that, uh, You know, you should use what's there. No need to invent the universe. Apples exist. Go ahead and use them. Don't need to grow them from scratch. Uh, Don't need to plant a tree, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a cheeky way to think about, you know, systems thinking and remind people to, to reuse what's there. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Good quote. And now let's turn to Kai Richter at SAP Fiori. And Kai has sent us a quote from Peter Drucker, Peter Ferdinand Drucker, 1909 to 2005, Austrian-born American management consultant, educator, and author. He is considered the founder of modern management. He coined the term knowledge worker and a couple of other interesting phrases that we all know and love. And let's just get to the quote. Here it is. The relevant question 
is not simply what shall we do tomorrow, but rather what shall we do today in order to get ready for tomorrow. Kai, please relate this quote, very wonderful quote, by the way, also to our topic today. Thank you. Well, I think as designers, we tend to um, experiment and try out options and iterate, which is our nature, right? This is how design works. As we are establishing design systems with more and more complex dependencies, we have to consider what is the result, the effect of what we're doing. So if I change a button from left to right, where does that all show up and what are the implications out of that? So having a design system helps us also to think ahead and prepare for upcoming things. When we started with Fiori, we really did the iterative way and we found out that a lot of decisions that we took early on had impact on our later um, design system. So I think this is something that we have to take into account and which changes the way how we naturally work as designers. Can we, you know what I want to do? Thank you very much, Kai. I want to establish, let's just do a little level setting here. We throw around the word design, designer. I like to level set so the audience knows exactly what we're talking about. Uh, design has implications, Kai and Sean. If I'm a designer, I could be designing shoes, or I could be designing pots and pans, or I could be designing houses. I could be designing a road system. So let's just just uh, level set a little bit. Sean, share us at Adobe. What's your definition of a design? designer in the context of what we're talking about today, design systems. Who who does this involve? Let's just do this first. Well, when I think about design broadly, I mean, it, for me, it always comes down to, to problem solving, right? Design is about creating a solution uh, that, that solves within a given set of constraints. Um, so not to take it back too far, but um, when we talk about, you know, design systems and, and the users of that, that's you know, product designers, um, engineers, people that are collaborating together uh, to build, you know, software experiences. Okay, thank you very much. The people who, does a designer need to be in the, wearing the shoes or walking in the shoes of the person for whom they're designing something, Sean? That's where I want to go. How do you know what's going to resonate with them? What's going to make their life easier, happier, better, more efficient? How do you know that? Uh, well, you know, part of the job of a designer is to have empathy and to do exactly what you're describing, to sort of put yourself in the shoes of the user and think about their problems and where they're coming from, what they're trying to solve, where the, you know, what are the steps involved, what are their needs, um, and, and there's certainly an intuitive aspect to it. And I think that's, uh, in many cases, one of the things that draws people to the design field, um, that and trying to create order from things. Uh, but also, you know, increasingly, there's there's a research component. So it's, it's good to have empathy. But, you know, at Adobe, we have a, a, a large and growing team of researchers from all sorts of different sort of uh, research orientations. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, uh, when it comes to your intuitions as a designer, you're, you're right, right until you're wrong. And some things <laughs> that you think that are, are plainly obvious and so intuitive, uh, you know, and, and so easy to use, um, sometimes you put them in front of users and, and you're very surprised at, at uh, you know, in usability, how far they fall flat in doing, you know, market research or interviews with potential customers how different their needs might be, uh, you know, aligned to like what you thought they were. So, you know, it's a, it's a 
it's a mix of, of using your own intuition, but also, you know, doing upfront research and then uh, doing more studies and usability uh, on the back end to make sure that you've gotten it right. Data, data, data. We'll be talking about that. Thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate your, your very uh, open and, and honest answer on that. Kai, let's get your thoughts on this. I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but while I have the two of you here, let's, what's what your definition of, of a designer? What makes a good designer? You are in the role of chief designer at SAP Fiori, so you obviously know what you're doing. Uh, how would you define if somebody walked up to you and said, what does a designer do today, Kai, especially in the software field? What would you say? Well, that's really a tough question because, of course, um, taking the definition that John brought, um, solving problems, it's Mm -hmm. it's something that many people do. Um, We have, in the end, we have a certain set of skills that we need to cover in our design teams. This is um, interaction design. This is visual design. This is user research. And also uh, all those aspects regarding content to understand what content we need to present in terms of language, numbers, figures and all those things. Um, and the individual designers combine those strengths in different um, ratios. So it's, for me at least, design is definitely about um, the UI, about the experience that the user has. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different levels where this is uh, coming to place, which makes it difficult to get this walk in the user's shoes because um, we have the central parts where I'm working, where we're providing the patterns and controls, so the design system part, basically, and we have the product part, so where those patterns are applied and this is usually very much, or not very much, but it is decoupled to a certain extent. So when it really reaches the user, they give feedback, they, they learn or they, they get along or they don't. The, the, this feedback has to reach us back again. We mm-hmm. need to adjust our concepts and the application design then follows and refines and meets the use case better. So we have like a bit of a two-step approach, which is iterative still. Um, and these are the t- two different areas in which designers work at SAP. Thank you very much. I have a quick question for both of you, and then we'll get to where are you calling from today and what's your favorite drink, and then we're going to take a break. Since I just have two of you on the panel, we have lots of time to talk. Sean Cheris, question for you. Social media makes the voice of one reach the ears or the eyes or the keyboards of gazillions of people, right? That's what tweeting and Facebook posts and, and Instagram and Pinterest, people are saying what they think. How, how much has the field of designing changed with the advent in the past couple of years of so many people taking to, to the, the highways and byways of social media, if you will, and expressing their opinions, uh, looking for use cases, looking for reactions to what you, Sean, and your team at Adobe said, oh, this will be great. People will love this. It will be an easy way to use XYZ software. W- what's happening with social media? Are you saying, OMG, they hate it or they love it? How much do you pay attention to that? Uh, well, that's a fun question. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's, it's an interesting one. And, and, and there's actually, yeah, there's, there's a whole thing around this. What I'd say about social media is that uh, it's just one channel. And going back to what I said about, uh, you know, research before, um, it's so important to know heading into the design, as, as Kai was saying, sort of, what the use cases are, what mm-hmm. the problems that uh, the users are facing, they're trying to solve, and then 
you know, verifying again and again and just creating a loop of, of feedback so that you know that you're doing a good job. You notice I'm not right. really talking about social media here. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, and so, so, so with, with software that's used by lots of people, right, millions of people, uh, in some cases some of the stuff that Adobe makes is used by hundreds of millions of people. Yeah. Um, you know, not all those people are on social media, and if you have 10 million users and you change something that only affects one-tenth of one percent of the users and they're upset about it, that's still 10,000 people. And if those 10,000 people or any portion of them are on Twitter uh, and, and they're, they're not enjoying your change and they're voicing their opinion about it, mm-hmm. uh, it can be really hard to separate the signal from the noise. Um, you know, we do brand work as well. And I'll tell you, uh, nobody gets on Twitter and says, you know, I'm indifferent to this change. <laughs> or <laughs> I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's just okay, right? Like, yeah. Twitter is, is a place where you either love it and, and, or you hate it. And, you know, the, the likelihood that you're going to express a negative emotion is several orders of magnitude stronger than the likelihood that you'll express a positive one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a really good way of driving you to go do some, some complaining. And so the signal-to-noise ratio is really hard to, to gauge on social media, and it's not a really good place to to, to judge how good a job you're doing. Um, that said, you know, it can be hard to stay away from it. It can be hard yeah. to, like, not go look a little bit when you release something new and see if people are enjoying it or not. And mostly I try to find uh, some of nice comments uh, among all the <laughs> negative ones. It's not a good place to go if you, want, if you, if you don't have a strong ego. I'll say that. Uh, that that's fair enough. Thank you for you dipped your toe in the water on that one. I appreciate that very well measured response. Kai, what's your thought about social media impacting the feedback loop, if you will, the data collection of? And, and Sean's points were very well taken. If you have a couple hundred thousand users, and not all of them are going to be on, and the people who want to use it for complaining may be the ones who are the only voices that you're hearing. So, Kai, what's your thought about the impact of the reality check of social media on design? Well, finally, I really can only echo what Sean said. It's it's not mm-hmm. uh, an undistorted source of truth, certainly. Um, this is why we really spend a lot of time really getting the feedback of the customers. And even there, it's it's always difficult to get really to the point to get the to the really to the issues that the users have. I think what makes design special is that many people have an opinion about things, and they judge on a often on a superficial level. Um, mm-hmm. So I would never want to take the role of a visual design lead, for instance, because they are always the poorest guy on earth because everyone has an opinion on colors. Um, so, so, so therefore, this, this feedback is often very opinionated if you try yeah. to explain the rationale. Um, sometimes you can convince people that the idea behind is not that stupid as they might think. <laughs> I have a quick story to share with both of you. I've told it on some of our other Game Changer shows, so please bear with me for a second here. Uh, I was on Long Island, lived on Long Island, New York for the past 32 years until I moved here a year and a half ago to Durham, North Carolina. And before I left, doing some socializing with friends, and uh, I was I was dating somebody, and he had friends, and we wanted to all go out to dinner. Well, we proposed a restaurant that was very near where I lived, and we had had very good experiences at this restaurant. So we proposed it to the two other couples and and the woman and one of the couples came back and said absolutely not i'm not going there we said why she said well didn't you read the yelp reviews 
And I said, so? And she said, well, 27 people said they didn't like the waiter, they didn't like the food, they didn't like the napkin, blah, blah, blah. I said, but I'm a real person, and you know me. You know where I live. You know what I do. And I've been there, and I say it's a really good restaurant. The food is terrific, and the waiters are very friendly. The prices are reasonable. What's not to love? And she said, I absolutely refuse to go because I'm taking the word of the strangers on Yelp over you, a real person. I know. Sean, you want to react to that? Talking about a design experience, no matter what the restaurant did, it's just going to lose because because of this negative shout-out on Yelp. Any thoughts on that, Sean? Uh, I'm not a restaurateur, uh, but I have friends <laughs> that, that have been, and um, I, I think that you'd, you'd, you'd find uh, a kindred spirit with them in terms of, of, of Yelp, although you know, I find it to be a useful tool, too. Uh, but I, you know, I think you've sort of personified uh, the, the problem with, mm-hmm. with that sort of media as, as a good measure of, of how well... Uh, you know, a business or, or anything else is, yes. is doing. Sometimes, you know, you just got to see it for yourself. Absolutely. Kai, any thoughts on that before we find out where you are, what you're, what you're uh, drinking today or what you're planning to drink? Kai, what's your thought on, on the, the Yelp, uh, the epitome of people yelling out, no, I don't like it. What's your thought? Well, well, at worst, you find the people that have a different taste than you have. So you don't know about the hundreds of people that have the same taste and love going there. So I wouldn't give there too much. Go. So if you would recommend it, I would always follow rather you if I know you <laughs> than anyone on the other. Next time on Long Island, you're both joining me for dinner if the restaurant's still yeah. there. How's that? <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Sean, let's get a little more up close and personal with you and Kai. So, Sean, where in the world are you today? And then tell me, what's your favorite beverage that powers you? I see a wonderful smile in your little PR picture I've got in front of me here. So what, what's your favorite drink? And you can be very specific. Go ahead, Sean Cheris. Uh, well, this morning I'm calling in from uh, my home office in Oakland, California, um, and I am drinking, as always, coffee. Uh, I love coffee, and also I have a very busy job, and we have a one-year-old baby in the house, and so uh, I-, I am consuming quite a bit of coffee mm. <laughs> at the moment in order to keep all the gears uh, running. But I'll also say, you know, something I love about coffee and this is a common theme with me, I guess. Uh, you know, the perfect cup is a culmination of many steps and processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to the Carl Sagan quote, right? Yes. Like, there's all the process that goes into, like, growing the beans and the soil. Then, of course, the roasting. But I don't do any of that. I just go buy it off a shelf. But when I make it, uh, it's about carefully controlling the variables. You know, the water's got to mm-hmm. be the right temperature, which is 200 to 205 degrees. I grind the beans to the right consistency in using a good grinder. Uh, you need the right amount of time for it to brew. Uh, and if you get it right, you get a great cup. I do big open-ended work at a large company, and things there can be somewhat uh, nonlinear. So mm-hmm. I find it really nice to start my day with one process where I control all the variables, and I can always guarantee a consistent, excellent result. <laughs> I, I love the process there. You you have designed your process for you. Tell me something. Do you have a favorite brand that you take off the shelf? We're not advertising or doing influencer roles here, but we'd love to know. Is there a special brand that really makes you happy, Sean? 
Uh, no, but I, you know, I live in the, the San Francisco Bay Area where there are myriad uh, local roasters, and it's nice to, to switch between them and, you know, try beans from all over the world, different levels of roasts, and I, I like to mix it up. I, I control the rest of the process, so I, I don't mind the beans varying a little bit. Thank you very much. Very interesting. My daughter bought a roaster recently, and, and she and her husband mm-hmm. are, are buying beans, and they're roasting them and keeping them at a certain temperature, and... Um, I prefer some of the original really coffees. They were apple pie from scratch. They really, really are. They really are. If it's a gadget, they own it and they want to try it out. So, <laughs> what's that bag today? Well, we bought this. We bought this. We bought this. And this has just been three days, and this needs another couple of hours, and then we're going to turn them over. Fascinating process. A lot of DIY, and and it's fun for a lot of people to do that. I think it makes people feel more in control. Uh, Sean, pardon, pardon the experience. The, I'm going to say of their own. They're designing their own own experience, right? You're designing sure. your own coffee experience by controlling, as you said, the elements. I had a guest on one of these shows, I've been doing this for nine years, uh, on an early SAP radio show, and I said, what do you love to drink? And he said, I'm British, and of course I love tea. And we said, okay, that's nice. He said, but let me tell you, tea in a tea bag, the way the Americans buy it, it's dust. It's not tea, it's dust. And he said, <laughs> real tea drinkers, real English tea drinkers, and he gave us the exact millimeter, uh, the, the uh, what do I want to call it, the thickness of the proper bone china cup and the exact temperature of the boiling water and the exact number of minutes and seconds you need to steep the tea and what kind of a strainer to put the leaves in. And it was like a science show. And he was really, he had really uh, appreciated and embraced that design experience. So you're designing your coffee experience. I love that. Thank you, Sean. Kai Richter. Where are you today, and what do you love to drink? What's your drink design experience? We're going to have to change that part of the show now, Sean, because of what we're talking <laughs> about. Kai, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm in the beautiful headquarters uh, in Baden area in Waldorf in Germany. Um, it's pretty hot today, and that also brings me to my favorite drink because uh, during summertime, that's actually the traditional um, apple cider from um, the region around Frankfurt. Um, and the end-to-end experience is that you usually go into a kind of a beer garden, but there is this apple cider only, and mm. you drink, uh, you eat, get some some cheese, like this liquid cheese with it. It's called Kochkes. Um So it's um, kind of a more like a, a full um, food experience end-to-end. And there are people that are doing their own cider as well. Yeah. Ah, I'm reading this here. App is it apple wine? Germany apple wine or exactly, Bies? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Hot malt cider, German glumos. Do you have the hot malt cider or do you have it at room temperature or cold? It's cold. It's cold and you put a little water, sparkling water into it. Oh, we call that a spritzer. Very, very nice. Thank you. It sounds like you've designed your experience too. Well, I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, and I will tell you, I've only been here a year and a half, and I'm trying to figure out what summer means because it started sometime in early May, and the temperature was going up in the high 90s. I don't know if we've got global warming here or not, but uh, summer starts in, in early May, and we have up to uh, 
30, 40 degree temperature ranges during the day. So you can start the morning at around 68 and end it up in the afternoon, end up at around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's fascinating to watch what does and does not survive in our gardens here. The heat is just brutal some days. And it's we just had the first day of summer a couple of days ago. And my plants are saying, water me, water me. I'm saying, well, I'll think about that. So anyway, here we are. And I'm very, very happy to be speaking with two real designers. We're talking today with Sean Cheris at Adobe and Kai Richter at SAP Fiori. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and our topic is, and we're yes, we're going to get to it, designing your design system, steps to success. So far, we've been dipping our toe in the water of what is a designer? What does the design experience mean? How do you get feedback? And now we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to design the break. I'll tell you it's 90 seconds. That's what I've designed. When we come back, we're going to pick the brains of our two experts on the show and find out how do you, wherever your company is, come up with a single design system that everybody can use and use successfully, scale it, make it cost effective, and make your customers and your product people very, very happy. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How will we work in the not-too-distant future? Will we work with or against machines? What can we do to create user experiences that make work delightful? How can we design technology to benefit our lives and society? These are some of the big questions facing business people, technologists, and designers today. Good design is the master key that opens the doors to technology's possibilities and people's abilities. When the user experience is right, it means we can work in a cooperative partnership with machines. Designing a game-changing user experience brings you insights from the thought leaders who are working to make this happen. Learn how great user experiences allow people and businesses to take maximum advantage of technology's advances. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. And today we're talking about designing a design system for a good user experience. My special guests today are Sean Cheris at Adobe and Kai Richter at SAP Fiori. We're going to start the roundtable formally. We've been going around and around the table. Really great conversation and insights from my two special guests. I'm going to read a quick statement here just to level set on, on what designers are making in terms of salary, and then we're going to dive into the design system. Some notes from Sean Chera. So here's what Sean told me. I'm just going to have one one statement, then I'll get into the guts of the topic here. He says, according to a recent Glassdoor survey, the average salary for a product designer is about $125,000 a year, and it can climb dramatically from there based on experience. So we'll just toss that out for those of you around the world listening saying, ah, should I go into designing, product designer, is there any money in it? 
Sounds like it could be. Now, let's get to our topic. Sean says, it's called a design system. That's our topic today. But engineers are probably more important in the end because they're the ones building it. This is the guts of our topic today. Sean, please tell us more. Yeah. Uh, so, so going back to the, the glass door survey, mm-hmm. um, you know, designers are, are, are really expensive, obviously, and mm-hmm. uh, especially here in the Bay Area. And at the moment, they sort of represent uh, a choke point in, in the software product design uh, process, right? Like you, they're they're in between, you know, the, the the sort of user research and what engineers need to start building it, and it really isn't a good use of their time for them to be thinking about, oh, what color should this button be, or how should this pattern work, uh, especially in a large organization uh, like ours. And, and Kai said that uh, SAP is about three or four hundred. We're, we're around the mm-hmm. same size. That represents a lot of, you know, collective knowledge, um, a lot of problems that have been solved before and don't need to be solved again. And, you know, beyond just sort of the visuals of, of, of what our software experiences should look like, design systems are a way of sort of capturing best practices and making sure that, that we, as much as possible, only solve each problem uh, one time. Uh, and then the second thing you you were asking about was uh, about engineers, and I think yeah. that's a really crucial difference between a design system and, and a style guide. And uh, it's getting less and less so, but there's still some conflation of the two ideas out there, uh, even in the design community. And really, the difference is like a design system requires an implementation, which is to say, you know, it's not just pictures, it's not just guidelines. You need to as quickly as possible, partner with your engineering teams and your product teams and make sure that, you know, the, the nice pretty pictures that your designers are using can be implemented and actually have uh, an existing implementation that can be used. Um, and that that makes the same efficiencies that the designers have in terms of reuse available for engineers, right? They don't need to rebuild patterns. There's stuff in the code base that they can, they can reuse, extend, uh, make use of, even if they, they need to vary it a little bit, there's something there that they can base their work on. And really that comes down to the least amount of difference that, that we can get away with between the, you know, the same experience in, in, in different places within this, the, the product experience. Interesting. Kai, join us. Thoughts? Agree or disagree? Who's really creating these systems? Well, first of all, I'm waiting for those salaries from the Bay Area reaching us still. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Come join but, us. Um, but I, <laughs> Move over. Come on. <laughs> Thanks for that invitation. Um, well, I think... Um, I think it's the, the, the combination, right? This, this is uh, because both parties bring something invaluable to the table. Um, I, I often experience developers somehow a bit trapped into their technology uh, restrictions. At the same time, the way how they ask the questions and how they put your design um, on the spot and, and really make it waterproof is something that you need to make any design system or any design actually uh, productive. So uh, the, the best experience I ever made was really when we had a very, very close collaboration between, between designers and developers. And mm-hmm. apart from the salary, 
um, having designers that are able to work together with developers and don't freak out if they come with their technical limitations, but they ex understand or are willing to understand those limitations is something that does not, you don't usually don't get out of design schools or at a, at a certain extent, I mean, especially in our area, design is not the purpose of the product, right? So enterprise software is not there to be fancy in design. It has to work. It has to be effective and efficient. And every mistake we do in the design costs a couple of dollars to our customers. So it's not always the most fancy solution, but always the, the most usable and the, most, the fastest solution that, that has to win. And this is also about performance and all those things. So whenever you want to reach good results, it has to be engineering and design working hand in hand together. Um, then you make the, the difference. Thank you very much. Anything you want to come back with, Sean? Because I have another statement from, uh, from Kai's list that I want to read next. So, Sean, anything you want to add to that one? Uh, yeah, actually, you know, I, the, uh, the the statement around the, the the limitations of of engineering, I find um, really interesting. Something that that we talk about on my team a lot is this metaphor. You know, a, a picture of a house is is not a house, um, and it's sort of like you know, a, a pipe is not a pipe. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, and, and drawing pictures of software is not the same as, as building software. And to, to echo what Kai was saying, you know, designers can sit there and, and, and draw pictures of what they think the ideal experience is, and then engineers come back and they say, oh, well, I can't quite do it. And really, in my experience, some of the most delightful, like, well-made experiences are where uh, you know, the engineer and the designer are able to sit down together and turn those, those limitations uh, you know, which is one way of looking at it into, you know, something that's really nice and that, like, makes the best of, of, of both worlds, um, brings the, the design to life in a way that the designer might not have even intended. And so that doesn't always happen, but that's the ideal. And it's important for designers to remember that they're not really building software. They're just sort of drawing rough pictures of it. And the actual implementation when it gets made might be a little bit different. And to look for the gold uh, in, that, in that difference. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I want to I want to push this a little bit further here with some notes from Kai Richter. Kai, you say for you the largest question to answer is are the dimensions on which we define the design system to best balance abstraction and design quality? Are the dimensions going to be able to balance them? You ask very important for our listeners to know how generic can you be in the design system without compromising on on a use case? How specific can you be without creating a maze? of exceptions and one-offs, which sounds like if you are, Kai, it gets you back to the, the original idea. we got a style guide. we got a bunch of templates. Which one should we use on Monday? Which one should we use on Thursday? So the, the importance of a design system, are, are we trying to strive for, quote-unquote, one single point of truth in how design is done, or is it okay to have these exceptions and one-offs? Kai, could you take us through it a little bit, please? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, ideally, um, we don't have ideally we have the system behind it and we don't have to design the screens um if we have uh, the logic how screens are built up i think um uh, sean mentioned that in one of his statements as well that 
if you have a, a clear rational, a clear system behind, you don't have to design the, the screens individually. You don't even have to create guidelines for individual screens or floor plans, which we have to do right now still. Uh, but you have more the logic behind so that the flow becomes natural. And those are the dimensions I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. What are the things that we have to keep constant that make a consistent experience across, even if the screens look different? Because that's something that we see, right? Consistency does not mean things are the same. They have to be, behave and feel to be the same. And that's the way how to adjust to individual differences and, and exceptions without having to de- describe those exceptions in detail. And I think especially with um, more liquid experiences like a conversational experience, we will find those systems to emerge more and more so that we see it's more the logic behind rather than the individual screens and the flows that -hmm. become consistent. Very well put. Sean, thoughts on this? Agree or disagree? Yeah, obviously agree. Uh, But yeah, I mean, consistency versus, you know, abstraction versus specificity um, is, you know, when it comes to design systems is is really like one of the the, the central problems that that sort of define it as as a practice. Um, And striking that right balance is really a lot of of the work in terms of figuring out like what's, what's allowed and what's not. Uh, one thing that, that people working on design systems do is you sort of start, uh, you know, back to the Carl Sagan thing, you really start with like the most basic elements, right? Almost like a style guide. Like these are the 10 grays that we use. These are mm-hmm. the blues that we use. Yep. Uh, this is our sense of typography. Um, this is uh, how thick a, a stroke or a line is. And then something like a button can be built out of those. Well, it uses color number two and text, you know, number one and so on and so forth. And then button is part of a larger assembly, and that's part of a larger assembly. And that gives a pattern from which, you know, when, when inevitably that pattern doesn't solve the need, it provides a strong starting point so that mm-hmm. uh, to the degree that it needs to vary, uh, it's very clear which parts of it can change and which parts of it can't. Uh, and, and that's a good way of enforcing consistency without having to be uh, the design police and without having to like look yes. at each and every use case and, and evaluate it individually. I've run afoul of design police from time to time, Sean. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, it was, it was not pretty. I was once told that a, a set of corporate videos I was making that had a huge global audience. I wasn't allowed to use the secondary color palette. And there was a, a, a battle that went on up to the highest levels of the design police to the point where I think it was a VP or an SVP had to get on the phone with me and the agency I was using and say, no, you have to stick to the primaries. That's good enough. You're not allowed to go into the secondaries. And we're thinking, seriously? Seriously? We have to get down to this level of battle? Is it really that important? But I don't want, I don't want to go there. Just bringing back a very, very funny memory. So I have a, a question for both of you. You both sent me, uh, Kai Richter and, and Sean Cheris both sent me wonderful discussion statements. I, I want to, shall we say, start at the very beginning. Whose job is it to design a design system? Does this come from grassroots? Does this come from designers sitting around over maybe coffee with you, Sean Cheris, that you've got to the exactly right temperature? And they're saying, you know, Sean, 
too many templates, too many style guides, too many questions. We really need to put it together. Assuming that you were at, at a, another company, a fictitious company where they didn't have a design system, do you hire somebody to do it? Who decides, yes, we have these many people, we have this many designers, we've got this many uh, software that we use, we have this many dashboards that we use, we have X number of products, we've got a gazillion customers, and we're just not getting it all together right. So where does the impetus for creating a design system come from? Let me just back some questions off of each of you and get your input. Let's just almost make this a lightning round. Uh, so, Sean, where does it start? Oh, my God. Uh, well, <laughs> Was that a good question? It's, it's a broad one. Uh, it's hard okay. to a lightning round, but I'll, I'll, do my, I'll do my best. Take your uh, time. Take your time. Yeah. So, so you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have started design systems, and, and, and my experience is, is pretty typical, which is that Typically, it starts with one person or uh, a very small group of people, and mm-hmm. often that's best because though a design system is practical, it does sort of have a, a, a visual point of view, and that's not really a great exercise for groups. Uh, none of us is as dumb as all of us is something I'm fond of saying, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes one person just needs to, to, to make a decision. And then, you know, it's almost like a like the way – you know, a small group of, like, hunter-gatherers grows into, you know, a society of one billion people, right? Like, along the way, there are different modalities, different forms of government and governance uh, that, that are needed, and design systems are, are pretty similar. Um, the, the model that's needed uh, changes from time, from time to time as, as the system and its use grows. Um, and in my experience, right around the time you've, you've figured out what your system of governance is, uh, how to how to maintain? Who gets to have input? As soon as you mm-hmm. figure that out, you you've outgrown that model, and so uh, it's something that is again one of the central problems with design systems, and something that you need to always be gathering data on, talking to your internal customers, and just sort of always redesigning the experience of using a design system itself. Yeah. Use the experience of using a design system itself. I like the way you put that. Kai Richter, join me. What do you think? Where where does it come from? Where does it start? Who's uh, as I we used to say, whose job is it anyway? Uh, I think there's a TV show with that name, or who, whose role something, or whose turn is it? Uh, Kai, what's your thought on on where does it come from? That a company says we really need a design system. Usually, company doesn't say that because it takes somehow you know a certain discipline, and usually you have so many different interests. Mm-hmm. that it's hard to get such a discipline through. Um, it's more a de facto standard. As, as Sean said, I think I can just echo the same experience. It was a very, in our case, it was also a very small team, a couple of designers, maybe 10 or so, with a developer who did prototyping and so on, who worked very closely together with technology. So with, our, with UI5, we basically did the designs, we implemented it in the technology, and that's how it became standard. And documentation actually came later, in order mm. to scale, to train, to explain uh, later or in parallel. Uh, but certainly we had to, usually you have to first deliver and then you can have the time to, to document. And, and, and this is how it happens. Right? It establishes itself as a, as a standard and then you get additional requirements and that's where it becomes difficult Then you have to establish mechanisms to maintain the whole thing and so on where it gets less funny and less innovative <laughs> after a while. Less funny and less than I, I, I did hear you say the word funny. I'm looking at your notes. Sean, I heard you laughing, uh, giggling. Sean, you want to chime in on this one at the point where it gets less funny or fun? Uh, 
you know, it's, yeah, I, I think Kai did a really good job of explaining it. It's, <laughs> it starts off small and everyone's excited about it. And it's funny, I, you know, I never thought about it explicitly the way Kai said it would often the documentation. And there's a difference between a style guide and a design system that, that I've mm-hmm. never really considered before, which is that, uh, and you seem surprised by that, but yeah, often the documentation does not come first, right? You actually start building and implementing it. You learn from that. And then as it grows and more people are using it, suddenly, uh, you know, the, it, it goes out beyond the core group of people who worked on it, who all mm-hmm. mutually understood what the rules were. And now you actually have to explain it to other people. And that's when the documentation comes into place. It's, it's very interesting in that way. But yeah, like the bigger it gets, the more it's like a product. We actually have a product manager on our design system. The more governance, the more you have to start thinking about the rules and the systems and how to, like, manage everybody's needs, and and the less sort of, like, fun and creative it is, uh, which is, you know, very short-lived with design systems. As soon as you've you've sort of got the thing in motion and people start using it, then all of a sudden, you know, they start asking why you haven't solved every single corner of the entire universe for them already. (laughs) Every single crumb of crumb topping on that apple pie. I think I have a statement here from, we're almost ready for our predictions round, but I have something in Kai's notes that will, I believe, uh, really crystallize what we've been talking about. He says, a design system often is driven out of a dedicated central team. It is a challenge as well as an opportunity to transform it into a corporate property so that Everyone in the organization participates and contributes and therefore feels ownership and responsibility for the design system. This should include all roles, but at least the design community. Uh, you want to address that last one, Kai, before we go into And, Sean, you can start talk, getting ready for your prediction. Kai, you say this should include all roles, but at least the design community. Is there any thought that it wouldn't include the design community? Or are they being pushed out at this point in the development in the, the uh, development cycle? Kai? Well, well um, what I find um, an, an effect often, if you, as a central team, provide this kind of guidelines or design system that – uh, the non-central, the product teams tend, or at least I've observed this effect, that it check out. They basically say, okay, this is what you provide us. We use it. We don't like it, but we use it anyhow. Um, and we try to circumvent it wherever we can. And it's, a, it's really one of the hardest jobs to make make sure that they understand that it's their tool, their ownership. We're just providing it. We're providing it based on, 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 their, on their feedback. And we want them to give us feedback to evolve it because without product, the whole design system is in vain. Um, and build that bridge, mm-hmm. is, I think, at least was a big challenge in the beginning. I think we got better with that. But as always, there's the first reaction is not invented here. I don't like it. There you go. And by the way, we have a nice tweet from one of our uh, most loyal listeners here on Game Changers Radio, Mohammed Amer. He goes by the handle at B-I-Z-U-S-E-R, biz user. He says, great conversation with Sean and Kai and Bonnie and a shout out to Esther Blankenship, who is the sponsor of the series, on the criticality of the intersection of design and engineering in delivering user or consumer experience and adoption. Thank you, biz user. We really appreciate your listening and your always very intelligent observations. So thank you. So now, Sean Cheris, 
It's time for our predictions. We call this the crystal ball. And this is really a lightning round. And I've got, oh, about 60, 68 seconds for you. <laughs> Sorry. All right, 70. I'll give you 70. What do you predict will change about the development or the, the reason for design systems or how widely they'll be used uh, and, and their usefulness between now and anytime between now and 2025? Sean Cheris at Adobe, you're up. Let's have your prediction, please. Well, I think... All of us working on design systems, to some degree, are, are designing a sort of democratization of the product design process. You know, the, the idea that, like, someone goes to art school to be a designer seems to me uh, a, a bit of a fluke of history, where you have to have visual skill to solve, uh, you know, really what are user experience problems. And um, I, I think design systems are, are going to be more and more easy to use in terms of, you know, just a nice set of Lego pieces. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's a future in, in experiences that can somewhat self-assemble using machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, and I think that design systems are going to create uh, a method by which, in general, software experiences can be much more quickly and to some degree much more automatically uh, sort of assembled and where visual designers are able to sort of make tweaks on it after it's put together, but that uh, they'll, they'll spend less and less time assembling it themselves from scratch. Thank you very much. And Monsieur, Mr. Kai Richter, you're up next. And please give us your prediction. I've got ooh, about 90 seconds for you because Sean was so concise. Go ahead, Kai. Okay. I think as well that the design systems will become commodity. They will consolidate across different companies. We will have similar, maybe even exchangeable um, concepts there. And a lot of the the specialty will go into the content so that we can really focus on designing the content and the use cases, and that will make the difference and the differentiator that we provide the content in the right format that people need exactly in the moment they're using it. In the moment that they're using it. I like that. Yes, it does need to be in the moment. It needs to be there. Thank you so much to the two of you. I have really enjoyed getting to know you, Sean Cheris at Adobe and Kai Richter at SAP Fiori. And again, a shout out to Esther for putting together. And Esther was on vacation during most of the setup for the show. And I believe uh, Mateo on her team was handling some of this. And thank you, Mateo, for, for stepping in. Really appreciate it. And anybody who hasn't heard this show, it's Game Changers Radio. We've got 43 series. I think we're up to 45 series, actually, under the Game Changers banner. Uh, today, we've been talking about designing a design system for a game-changing user experience. And user experience, in this case, is not just the product or a solution or service user outside the company, but it was more of an internal focus. So thank you to my two special guests. And now it's time to wrap this up. And I will be back, by the way, at uh, 12 noon. It's Tuesday, so today is Game Changers Radio Doublehead day. Be back at 12 noon right here on the World Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com, business channel at 12 noon Eastern with another, another episode of our game-changing revenue growth. We're talking about getting the right data at the right time, in the right place, in the right consistency, in the right, the right cleanliness, shall we say, the right condition for revenue growth for B2B. So I'm going to do my shout outs now and let's get, get this over with. Aaron at World Talk Radio, Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. Thank you so much for always getting us on the air and keeping us there. And here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer, a real game changer. Design your life to be a game changer, just like Sean Cheris at Adobe and just like Kai Richter at SAP Fiori. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back in an hour. Don't miss it. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.